here in a few years, you guys can say we, we heard the debut of this uh, six-tet quartet uh, here. And, uh, and uh, what a blessing. And they got those voices going down. Got them, uh, got them there good. And uh, I knew them when their voices were way up high. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so it's been neat to watch them grow up uh, here. And uh, what, what a blessing. Well, let's, uh, let's take our Bibles tonight to the book of Philippians. Uh, book of Philippians. And we'll be in chapter 2. And uh, you find your place and you're able to stand with me if you would stand. And let's read a portion of God's Word here this evening, Philippians chapter 2. And I, I want to begin in verse number 1. This is really such a precious passage of Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, this passage of Scripture will help you in your home. It'll help you at work. It'll help you in relationships. And what we're going to deal with tonight is having humility in our relationships, having humility in our relationships. And verse number one, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's such a key thought, a key verse there, is having the mind of Christ. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And uh, we'll stop at, at that point uh, here this evening. If you'll join me, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And take just a moment here tonight to yield and just to allow the Lord to have his way in this service. And we so need to hear from the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you that in your word you give us an answer for every need of our life. Lord, we're asking tonight for your help, asking help as we preach, asking help as we listen. But most of all, asking help as we put into application what you give us. And Lord, I pray that uh, your word would truly make a difference in our lives. And Lord, maybe somebody here tonight is, is dealing with a relationship, uh, an issue within a relationship. And I pray that uh, there might be a principle they can latch on to tonight. And Lord, help us as a church to glorify you, to honor you, uh, just as a church, as we work together, live together, as we uh, would be a testimony here in this valley of uh, what a Christian relationship ought to be. Let our homes be a testimony, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated here this evening. And as we, we have over and over emphasized or put emphasis upon this, the book of Philippians is a book about the joy of the Lord. And let me just read you some verses that I think uh, you could compare here to the book of Philippians. And I've always liked Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 10, where Nehemiah says to the congregation, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And uh, the joy of the Lord is such an important uh, part or aspect of our life. Uh, joy is something that if you know Jesus Christ, uh, cannot be stolen from you. That becomes so evident in the life of Paul the Apostle. 
Uh, Jesus said in John 7, verses 37 through 39, at the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And that speaks of salvation. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that speaks of a saved person possessing the Spirit of God and having the joy of the Lord, the Spirit of God that would flow forth out of our life like an artesian well. Uh, and then in John 10, verse number 10, the promise the Lord gave, uh, he says, The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus came not only to save, but to give his children uh, abundant life. And I believe that the abundant life of the Lord involves the joy of the Lord. And yes, you can be sick and in bed and still have the joy of the Lord. That joy uh, cannot be taken away from you. Now, happiness is, uh, is based upon circumstances, but the joy of the Lord is based upon a relationship. And so in the, in the case of Paul the Apostle, he can write the book of Philippians from the jailhouse and uh, chained to uh, a Roman soldier and uh, Paul can be filled with joy, and he can say that he prayed with joy and thankfulness for this church at Philippi. In the book of Philippians, 19 references to joy, to rejoicing, to gladness. And uh, Paul, uh, the latter part of the chapter, chapter 4, verse 4, uh, says to us, exhorts us, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And that's something that uh, can be a motto that we can live by is that uh, joy and that rejoicing of the Lord in our life. Now, each one of the chapters deals with what we might call a joy robber. There are things in our life that will rob us of joy. Uh, chapter 1, he deals with circumstances, and we went through the circumstances that can rob our joy. Uh, Paul was in prison, but he wouldn't let prison rob his joy. Uh, Paul was facing envy and opposition from other Christians. And in fact, he was attacked by other Christians, but Paul would not let that rob his joy. And then Paul said, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, he did not know what his prison would end up, whether it would end in death or it would end in freedom. Uh, but that circumstance would not take his joy. And so none of this would rob the joy of Paul. There were some principles we dealt with in chapter number one. Now we come to chapter two, Another joy robber, relationships. And as we told the story of the little girl that slammed the door, ran up to her room, and her dad came up and said, daughter, what's wrong, honey, what's wrong? And she said, people, people, that's what's wrong. And, and then the story went that uh, dad said, well, honey, can I help you? He says, no, you're a people. And, uh, and that was the, the attitude, people. And we allow relationships to rob our joy if we're not careful. And so we deal with the relationship, broken relationships, troubled relationships, selfish relationships. They become joy robbers. And so God gives to us some principles uh, in building our relationships. And uh, what we're going to look at tonight is having humility in our relationships. And there's this principle here as we look at uh, chapter 2 that... Uh, the Lord is to be first in our lives, but we are to put others ahead of self. And this principle that Jesus lived is that principle of seeking to make others better. And that really becomes the path to victory. And we've often said of this passage, and it's just a principle put forth, that the way down is the way up. 
And you want to rise to the top, then you sink down to the bottom. And it's in humbling ourselves that God exalts us. And that is so clearly set forth for us in relationships. And really this principle, humanly speaking, makes no human sense. Okay, uh, To look at this from a human perspective, to lower myself is to exalt myself, to humble myself is to pull myself up. Uh, makes no human sense. To go down is to rise and doesn't make human sense. But it makes God sense because it gets God involved in our relationships. And when God gets involved in our relationships, it makes all the difference in the world. And we shared over and over in, in marriage counseling and in pre-marriage counseling that a marriage takes three. It takes uh, the husband, the wife, but most of all the glue that holds it together is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that makes God sense. When Jesus gets involved, when God gets involved in relationships, uh, it can put the most horrible of relationships back together and put it on a par that will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to, to look here tonight at, uh, first of all, the application of humility. And I want you to, to skip with me uh, to verse number 5. You'll see that this was the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 5, we read, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ in our relationships. Verse 6 speaks of the deity of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And uh, for the cults that do away with the deity of the Lord Jesus, this verse makes it very clear that uh, Jesus is God. Uh, he's in the form of God, but he thought it not robbery. He humbled himself. And uh, notice the path of Christ in verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. He gave his reputation. We like our reputation, don't we? We like others to think well of us. Uh, we like to be exalted by others. But Jesus gave his reputation. He was willing to leave the glory of heaven to give his reputation. That reputation where he was honored, where he was exalted and worshipped by angels and saints alike. Uh, he gave all of that to come into this world to be born in, placed in a lowly manger, uh, where he would be accused of perhaps being an illegitimate child because God, a heavenly father, was his father. And so he gave his reputation. And though king of kings and lord of lords, uh, he humbled himself and uh, gave that reputation. We want others to think well of us, but look what Jesus did in giving himself. Uh, he gave his position, who being of the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, but notice this took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. He gave that high exalted position. It would be like a man becoming a worm. And here Jesus Christ, God, became man, took upon himself human flesh. And then he gave his life, literally, in verse number 8, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, you consider this. Christ could have demanded respect, and he's worthy of respect. And Revelation chapters 4 and chapter 5 speak that he is worthy. He's worthy as creator. All things were made by him. Without him, it's not anything made that was made. 
He's worthy for redemption. He redeemed us unto himself by his blood, made us to be kings and priests. He's worthy. He could have demanded respect. He could have demanded worship, which he is well worthy of. He could have demanded life, and he could have called for legions of angels, and they would have come uh, to take him from that cross, but he humbled himself. Uh, He had every right to exalt himself, but he humbled himself to the point of death because he shed his blood for you and I, and that became our means of salvation. And do you see that that is the way down? That was the humility of Christ. He humbled himself for us. And what does that look like in our lives? You say, but that was Jesus. And I'm not Jesus. And I can't do that. Well, the command, if you go back to verse number five, is let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And you're right, you can't do that. But Jesus can do that through you. And he can live the Christian life through you by the power of his spirit. So what does it mean to us? Well, I believe as we look at this passage of scripture, humility helps us to see the importance of others. That's what Jesus saw. He saw your importance. That's why he left heaven. He saw your importance. That's why he went to the cross saw your importance. That's why he became a servant unto you. He humbled himself. Look in verse number three, Philippians two. Humility helps us to see the importance of others. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. See, our natural tendency is to think of self, isn't it? Natural tendency is to exalt self. And you've heard this as a dog-eat-dog world. And if you don't exalt yourself, nobody else is going to do for you. If you don't promote yourself, uh, nobody else will promote you. Uh, The natural man is to do what's best for self, to serve self, to hope that everybody else will serve self. And that's the natural path. But the path of Christ is to think of others ahead of self. So put that into your home. And so when husband thinks of wife before he thinks of himself, that makes a big difference. When wife thinks of husband before she thinks of herself, that makes a big difference. And when each is serving the other, uh, it makes home a type of heaven on earth. And when children are thinking of one another, instead of big brother thinking, I get the big piece, uh, big brother is trying to help little brother out and uh, trying to serve little brother and uh, trying to help dad and mom. And it puts the home on a par a level that God can honor and bless. Uh, works in church. Uh, when we are seeking within church to put others ahead of self, we're thinking about others uh, makes a big difference within the life of a local church. And again, I'm so thankful for Valley Bible Baptist and, and just the, the wonderful privilege here of pastoring at such a, a great church of servants and people that I love and serve. And I see it over and over and even through, uh, through the sickness. You, you guys have been so gracious and so good and uh, so prayerful. Thank you so very much. So humility helps to see the importance of others. And then we build upon that humility Uh, then exalts others and seeks to make them better. What do you mean by that? That's what Christ did. You see, he humbled himself that we might be saved, that we might be exalted. Uh, He came down that we might be lifted up. 
Uh, how can that work? I, I'm thinking of a scriptural application. I, I think of two brothers, uh, twins in the Bible. You know the story of Jacob and Esau. And you know how there was some conflict between Jacob and Esau. They both wanted the birthright. And Esau, as the elder, was the natural inheritor of the birthright. We know the story how Jacob deceived Esau and how that birthright was taken from Esau. But I've often thought about this, and of course this is not what took place, but what if Jacob would have worked with Esau? You ever think about that? What if Jacob would have helped Esau to do what was right and to be right? What if the approach, it it would be a completely different story uh, that we would be reading in the Bible, but I've often thought about that. What if they helped each other? I witnessed a family destroyed by an inheritance. And uh, when parents uh, passed off of the scene, there was a huge farm, and uh, they all began to battle and fight over who was going to get the farm and who was going to get what acreage and who was going to get the house. And a family that had been somewhat close was suddenly destroyed, and they came to the place they wouldn't even talk to each other. They didn't want to see each other. Uh, I witnessed another case where a family, uh, brother or sister, they built a fence between themselves, and it was not just a chain-link fence. It was a wooden fence, so they couldn't see each other because they got sick every time they would see the other person. And it's simply because... Uh, Each one became selfish in seeking that which belonged to them. And uh, they became enemies all for self. Now that can apply to a work situation. You ever thought about a work situation? Just taking the approach. Uh, What about helping uh, that friend to receive a promotion? And sometimes I've witnessed this at a lumberyard and working at the lumberyard and everybody wanted the the high position, wanted the, the position of leadership. And I witnessed as uh, employees began to cut each other down before the boss. And it was just kind of disheartening uh, to see that because they all wanted to be exalted. And they thought the way to be exalted was to put the other person down. And that uh, was the way that we get the promotion. But what if we took a different approach? And we had the mind of Christ and we sought to help others to become better, help make others better. Uh, what about this? What about making your boss to be the best boss that he could be? Uh, you've all witnessed this, and you've heard people talk about their boss, the very one that makes out their paycheck, and they talk negatively behind the back of the boss, but when boss is around, they buddy up to the boss, and you've witnessed that. I've experienced that and seen that. What if we took a different approach? What if we sought to make our boss the very best boss that we could be, help him to be an even better boss? What about making my company the best company that I can make it? See, that would help myself, wouldn't it, if my company became a better company, all because I was present. I think that's what Joseph did. If you look at Joseph in the Bible, I think if you understand Joseph, uh, Joseph in the Word of God, everywhere Joseph went, it was a better place because of the presence of Joseph. When Joseph is sold into slavery, the Bible says that the Lord was with him, and God blessed the house of Potiphar because of the presence of Joseph. And then Joseph falsely accused and thrown into the prison house. And it says that the Lord was with Joseph there in the prison house. And he made that uh, jail keeper the best jail keeper he could be. And Joseph was given a place, a promotion. And then we find that Joseph is taken out of that prison place to a prime leader in Egypt. And to become second unto Pharaoh. And he helped to make that Pharaoh and that nation the best nation that he could make. See, that's the power of a Christian who has the heart of humility, has that heart of promoting others. I don't read that Joseph ever sought to promote himself. What I read is that Joseph helped others to be better. 
And by helping others to be better, God promoted Joseph. And I think that's the heart, the mind of humility. That can work in a home, by the way. Uh, when wives, you're seeking to make your husband the best husband or vice versa, children helping to make your brothers and sisters the best you can make them. See, humility works in a home. It works in a church. Uh, that humility works uh, for the good of a team. You ever witness a team? Look in Philippians 1, verse number 27. In Philippians 1, verse 27, he's talking about a church as a team. He says, let your conversation be as become of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You're working together to promote the Lord Jesus Christ and to make him look good. And he said in verse 2 of chapter 2, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Be a team together. You consider a football team, and a lot of times the quarterback on the football teams receives the recognition, uh, but he's only one part of the team. The quarterback can't do it by himself. Uh, he needs his blockers, and he needs the runners and the receivers, and uh, they all have to work together. And often nobody will even know the name of the center that hikes the ball to him, but a good center is invaluable to that quarterback and to the football team, that center becomes the first line uh, uh, against the opposition that comes to attack uh, that quarterback. And uh, they work as a team together. They help one another uh, to be the best. Often the coach is praised uh, or blamed for the success or failure of the team. Uh, I've seen a bad coach coach a good team and become a winning coach and uh, then the coach gets the credit. And I've seen a very selfish team coached by a good coach, and uh, that coach is then blamed for it. My high school football coach was so excellent, excellent football coach. And I watched as the older class a uh, couple of years ahead of me, probably the most talented group that had ever gone through the school, but they were very selfish. They were in it for themselves and not for each other. And so that team ended up failing uh, tremendously. Could have been the best team in the state, but I watch a less talented team by that same coach become state champs because they work together, because they were a team together. And that's the concept that the Lord puts before us. That same concept applies to a family as you work together, to a church that works together. See, godly parents give a reputation to their children, and godly children give a reputation to their parents. In Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman the Bible said her husband is known in the gates and her children are blessed. And why? Because of a woman that gave herself for her family. That concept in the church, a church works for the reputation of Christ, doesn't it? And each member mindful that they represent the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Just a quick testimony and I'll move on. R.G. Letourneau and uh, with the Lord many, many years now, but R.G. Letourneau had a uh, a huge business, and uh, by the end of his business was tithing over 90% of what he made uh, to the work of Christ, supported missions and missionaries all over the world, and God had blessed him. But I had a business deal with a fellow church member, and when things went bad in that business deal, that church member bailed out and left R.G. Letourneau with the entire bill. And then in the next, uh, the next deal, or the next uh, business transaction, R.G. Letourneau ended up making a lot of money, 
and uh, the church member who had bailed out wanted the benefits of the money, but not the bill uh, from the former one. And uh, R.G. Letourneau had every right to, to go to court and battle, but he knew it was a church situation. And he said, I'm not going to do it. In fact, he footed a lot of that, and God blessed him. And uh, the end result is what I just told you about a moment ago, how God blessed. But his concept was, I'm in this for the team and the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want to do anything that will harm the reputation of my Savior. I don't want to give a bad name to my church, to the world. I don't want to give a bad name to Christ, to the world. And that was the mindset of R.G. Letourneau. And God blessed him for that mindset. That's the concept of teamwork. That's humility. Humility, as we study the Bible, can overcome contention. Proverbs warns us, only by pride cometh contention. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 2, evidently there were a couple of women in the church at Philippi that had some contention, and Paul exhorted them to be of the same mind. And what Paul was exhorting them is that each party would have to take humility into that relationship. And humility will cause us to seek forgiveness. Humility will recognize that I can hurt somebody. Any of you ever hurt anybody? Okay, we know how people hurt us, but do you ever hurt anybody? And humility takes the mind of Christ in Matthew chapter 5, and if I bring my gift to the altar, and there remember my brother hath ought against me, leave the gift at the altar, go thy way first, be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. And that's the mind of humility. Humility will cause us to seek forgiveness, but humility will cause us to forgive when we've been wronged against, and we sure do know when we've been wronged against. But the Bible teaches us that as Christ has forgiven us, we are to extend that forgiveness to others. See, those are some ways that humility can be applied in our life and help in our relationship. I want you to go back to Philippians chapter 2. And I want to just take a, a brief moment to look here at the importance of this because there's the reward that comes with humility in our relationships. Now, we read this, but I want you to read it with me again. We said that Christ took the steps downward. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death. But notice that that way down is the way up. It says, wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. In the name of Jesus, precious, it's a worthy name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue should, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, each step of humility led to a step of exaltation. And here's the promise, and this is what I want you to see. Uh, and this is why, humanly speaking, this makes no sense, but it makes God sense. Because when God gets involved in your relationships, when God gets involved, when you humble yourself and God gets involved, uh, the Lord can take the steps to make a rotten relationship a good relationship by his intervention in that relationship. See, God has promised to exalt those that humble themselves. It's not something we like to do. But God has promised to exalt those that will humble themselves. would ask uh, husbands and wives, when you have a little conflict, 
Who is it that first humbles themselves to make it right in your marriage? Ought to be both of you. What about it, brothers and sisters? You ever have conflict? Uh, Who is it that humbles themselves to, to get it right, to make it right? See, God will exalt the humble. He's promised to. He shows this principle through the scriptures. Let me read just a few scriptures. Proverbs 22, verse 4. It says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 11. The meek, which is a cousin, we might say, of humility. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart, saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Uh, Psalm 51, 17, David, when he humbled himself and confessed his sin, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And I love Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited the eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite, humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. See, the God exalted, or those that God exalted in the Word of God, are those that had the heart of humility. Uh, I love Joseph, and we've mentioned Joseph. And Joseph, it's evident, as he went to Potiphar's house, uh, took a position of a servant, and the Lord was with him. He humbled himself, and God exalted him. He was a blessing to Potiphar's house. God blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. In the prison house, Joseph took the place of humility, and God blessed the prison. In Egypt, Joseph took the place of humility. It came to the place that his own family had to come and bow the knee to Joseph in order that they would be fed and cared for. And then I read in the life of Joseph, and Joseph, in this position of honor, Uh, could have taken it to his brothers that sold him into slavery. But no, Joseph took the place of humility and was willing to forgive his brothers, and not only to forgive them, but to serve them and to care for their families. And God exalted Joseph because of his humility. Another of my favorite characters is that of Daniel. And Daniel uh, was never in the position as a king. But you'll find that Daniel had more power than Nebuchadnezzar, who he served. Daniel had more power than Darius, whom he served. Daniel had more power than Cyrus, whom he served. Daniel was the servant, but given an exalted position in those kingdoms because of the heart of humility. The thing about Daniel that I love is that Daniel was strong in his convictions, He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Daniel had strong conviction and he would not compromise those convictions, but he took a path of humility. And you understand when Daniel made the appeal to Nebuchadnezzar, he did so with a humble heart. And in that humility, you find that God exalted Daniel, his friends, and Daniel uh, became one of the wise men of that kingdom. He was given dreams by the Lord that were uh, for Nebuchadnezzar and interpreted those dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. And God used uh, Daniel in giving guidance to the nation of Babylon and 
God used Daniel then to give hope to his people taken captive. And why? Because Daniel was in a position of humility that God was able to exalt. The Bible says of Daniel's excellent spirit found in him. And I love the spirit of Daniel. And it's a testimony as to the power of humility in a relationship. Now, let me just close out with one little thought here tonight. And I think this is so important. Because to maintain joy in your relationships, joy uh, is often robbed by broken relationships. To maintain joy in your relationships, you're going to have to carry humility into those relationships. And that principle of humility that we talked about, not exalting yourself, but taking the mind of Christ and seeking to exalt others, make others better, serve others, take that position of putting others ahead of self. And our relationships then, uh, if we put the mind of humility to what them, will not be one of those joy robbers that are spoken of here in the word of God. I want with that to go to the Lord in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed.